Happy Fourth of July. Um, it's one that we celebrate. We're going to celebrate it tonight. Um, a lot of times when it comes to like Fourth of July and church and things like that, um, I tell people, one, I consider myself pretty patriotic. Uh, if you want to sit down and have a conversation about constitutional law, I can do that. Um, understanding the history of our country and the things that brought us that freedom, I have a great, great love for. Um, pick a conflict that America has been involved in, and you will find a book about it in my office that I've read, and a podcast on my phone. Um, my granddaddy fought in World War II. Uh, my great uncle was General Patton's personal secretary all through the African and European campaign. Um, I take great pride in that. But when it comes to this, this wins. Um, today, we're not going to break away from what we've been going through. We've just kind of been saying, hey, there are some things that we can probably understand a little bit better and have a greater knowledge of. And today, we're going to talk about one of the biggest ones, this, the Bible. I'm going to talk about all of it. No, you're not going to be here forever, but we're just going to try and have a better understanding of this thing that we call the Bible. When I was young, uh, I was really blessed. Like, I know and understand that, and I'm very thankful for it. Um, I was born into a family that took me to church. I was in church before I ever even came into the world. Um, and I'm thankful for that. At a young age, I knew God was calling me to have a relationship with him. I'm thankful for that. When I was about six, my church, it was this little bitty country Baptist church. Um, everybody sitting right here, it was the whole church. We would make jokes and say it was family-owned and operated because most of us were related. And uh, we would do a devotional before Sunday school, and I got the opportunity to do one one day. So I had a Bible that my parents had got me. It was precious moments. Some of you have no idea what that is, and some of you have great fond memories of it. I look back, it was this Bible for children, and it had pictures and things in it, and there was these little, like, cherub-looking kids but I don't understand why. They always look sad. Like if you remember back and they always had band-aids on, like some, something went wrong. Um, but it had devotionals in it. And it had a devotional on 2 Timothy 3.16. I can't think of any better way to start talking about the Bible than this verse. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All of this, from the first word, in, in the beginning, to the last word, amen, it is true, is breathed out by God. Recorded in this book is God's primary way of communicating to the world and to his people. His people in the Old Testament when it was the chosen Israelites, and his people in the New Testament, his chosen bride, the bridegroom of Christ. This is his primary way of communicating to us. And so I thought, you know what? If we're going to talk about learning and understanding something a little better, we better have a really good understanding of this, of this book. And so in the next 25 minutes or so, we'll jump into it. This message is also going to be a little bit different. I'm going to use my notes a lot more than I normally do, but I'm also talking about all the Bible in one message, so let's be graceful, right? Okay, so a couple fun facts about the Bible. It is one book made up of 66 separate books. Um, we get the Bible from a Greek term, uh, tabiblia, means the scrolls, because originally it was written on scrolls, and some of these scrolls were extremely long. Um, it's one book made up of 66 separate books brought together into what we consider holy scripture. Um, 
It was written over 2,000 years, um, and it could have been, or it was written over a period of 2,000 years, and could have been written as early as 2000 B.C. Now, today, we're celebrating like 245 years of America being an independent country. That seems like a lifetime, and yet we're talking about 4,000 years ago, people began to pen and write down this book. The Bible has over 40 different authors, but they were all inspired by God. It's written in three different languages. The Old Testament primarily is written in Hebrew. It is a very old world language. Most of us learned left to right, top to bottom. That's how we write. Hebrews wrote backwards. They went from the right to the left. Um, It's a very, very different language than what you and I speak. Some of the Old Testament was written in Aramaic. They had been conquered by other people, and that language, Hebrew, wasn't used as much, and so they would uh, write in Aramaic. When you get to the New Testament, it's written in what's known as Koine Greek. Um, It was the common language of the time. Uh, It would quote the Old Testament, but it was written in a very different language than what you see. Um, I'll tell you this, it's a fun language to learn. Um, In Greek, they have 16 different ways to say the, the definite article the, 16 different ways, because one's not enough. Um, I remember sitting in a class learning a Hebrew alphabet or a Greek alphabet and sounding out the words as a grown man and thinking, I sound like a child. <laughs> like, but this was the common language that people spoke, and it was a language that most of them would be able to understand in that Romanized world. It's a very diverse book. Kings wrote part of this. David, man after God's own heart, he was born, he's this little shepherd boy out there tending the fields. Shepherd boys didn't normally have king as their, you know, soon-to-be title, but he was called by God and anointed, went out, slew a giant, was raised up to be king, and at times he sat down as this warrior poet and wrote some of the psalms. And then his son Solomon comes along. Solomon was one of the richest humans to ever live in all of human history. He was the wisest to ever live in human history. And as a king, he sat down And one day he pushed back from a table and went, that's it. That's the song of songs. He had written a lot of songs, but he got up, put that pen down and said, this is my best one. It's what we call the song of songs, Song of Solomon. Um, It's family Sunday, so I'm not going to really get into that one. If you have any church background, there's a wonderful sermon online that I've already preached over it. Um, But he got up and said, that's the best one I've ever written. it's, It's pretty, pretty good. It's got good stuff in there. And then there were fishermen that wrote some of these words. In biblical times, you knew who were fishermen just from the smell. (laughs) You could look at their hands, you could smell their clothes, and you went, I know what you do for a living. It was pretty apparent. And so sometimes, just simple fishermen wrote the inspired words of God. Paul was a tent maker. That's what he would do to help support his ministry. And there were times he would get done weaving tents and pick up a pen at times chained to a Roman guard, and he would write Holy Scripture. It's pretty diverse. It's an absolute bestseller, nothing even close to it. Pretty much every year the Bible is the best-selling book. Within history, it is by far, by far the best-selling book. There's a lot of them. Uh, It has two main sections, Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament contains 39 books, 929 chapters, 23,214 verses, 593,493 words. The longest book is the book of Psalm, and the shortest book is Obadiah. The oldest book in the Bible, it's actually not in Genesis. (laughs) Job is considered usually to be the oldest book in Scripture. Uh, It could have been written literally 2000 B.C. 
Um, the language that's used in the book of Job is almost like pre-Hebrew. Um, the th- phrases that are used in it are different. There's no mention of Abraham or the law or anything like that. But here's what we know. Before scripture was ever written, it was orally told to people. They were a storytelling people. This is very Eastern, Eastern countries and Eastern philosophy. And they would tell these stories. And obviously the story of God had been told to Job because Job was a God-fearing man. Job understood that he had a creator that he had been blessed by. And even when calamity came his way, he said, look, naked I came in this world, naked I'll leave it. I'm not, I'm not going to profane the name of my God. And then you see a lot of restoration at the end of it. That's probably the oldest book in scripture. New Testament contains 27 books, 260 chapters, 7,959 verses, 181,253 words. The longest book is the book of Acts, and the shortest book is 3 John. Um, Fun fact, that's what we'll talk about next week. Um, Since we're talking about Scripture this week, I thought, you know what, let's let's talk about how we normally teach through the Bible. We say, hey, we're exegetical, we want to go verse by verse, and so I'm going to teach through a whole book in one day. The good thing for you is 3 John's only 219 words in the original language, so you will still get to go have lunch. Um, there's lots and lots of facts about the Bible. I could sit up here for the rest of this time and, and tell you them. You know lots of them. Here's what I also want us to understand. We don't learn about the Bible just to be good at Bible trivia. Like I had a period of my life when I was in college where I was trying to learn the Bible, not to so much understand it, to be smarter than the guy next to me. And I had a pastor who preached a very toe-stomping message on that one day. And I went, that's me, like completely. Like we don't learn it just to be good at Bible trivia. We learn it so that we can learn more about the creator of the universe. We can learn more about his plan, his plan for salvation, his plan for the gospel, all things being restored and being made right. We don't just learn it to be good at Bible trivia. We read it sometimes to let it read us. Scripture would describe itself as sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing bone and marrow. It's not a club. It pierces. We need to let it read us sometimes. Very often, actually. And so we don't just read it just to have the facts and everything. We read it to understand there is an absolutely glorious God. And from page one to the last page, it's all about his glory. So now let's talk a little bit about inspiration and inerrancy. What are these two things? Why are they important? Inspiration and, and uh, inerrancy are very important because sometimes we will th- find things in the Bible that we don't like, right? Everybody does it. I don't care what the topic is. You find something and go, well, I, I know that that's talking about me, so I don't like it. And so some people will say, well, we're going to take that part out. Well, then we're going to take this part out. We'll take this part out. And what you have is you're not making it about God. You're trying to make it about yourself. You're trying to be the author and creator of this, and we are not. Um, I had a buddy who one time, he was in a Christian band. They got done playing at a concert, and a kid walked up with his Bible and said, hey, will you sign this? And he said, I didn't write that. Um, this is God's word. We believe that it is inspired by God. And we believe that it is absolutely perfect and inerrant. And so inspiration, inspiration is the belief that the Bible in its entirety was inspired by God and not simply thought up by mankind. I know that this has to be inspired by God because there are so many things in it that mankind, if we were trying to portray our idea of God, we wouldn't put stuff in there. We wouldn't put stuff that meant sacrifice. We wouldn't put stuff that meant, you know what, I need to be humble or make less of me and more of a God. So 
The Bible itself teaches this. I read 2 Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God. It's breathed out. It's this Greek word pneuma. Literally, every word from in to amen is breathed out by God. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter's giving a reference to prophecy, and he says that it was given by the Holy Spirit. So then take another apostle. In 1 Corinthians, Paul again states uh, that his words were not given to himself and the other authors, but they were given by the Holy Spirit. And so we believe that this is inspired. So how does that happen? Because inspiration looks different for everybody, right? Like some people are inspired in different ways. Like sometimes you just need a challenge. Like tell me I can't do something, I'll figure out a way to do it. Like that inspires me. Some people are artistic and they're inspired by the landscape and things that they see around them. So how is scripture inspired? There's some different theories and I'll tell you the one that as a church we kind of run with. Um, One is... uh, the ecstatic view, uh, that the writers were mystics and they were overcome by a trance and they just began to write and woke up and there it was. Uh, kind of that mystic idea, eyes roll back in the head and they're just writing and then they look down like, oh my gosh, that's good. And um, I've, I've seen that happen in some instances. Uh, it wasn't the Holy Spirit, uh, it was Ambien. I had some sleep issues for a while and had to take a sleep medication that I found at least once a month I would wake up the next day with full amnesia of the day before and then start finding things. Um, I would find that I had written on people's Facebook walls, and some of them I was a little nervous about what I said. Uh, Then I started finding journal entries that I wrote. They were good. Like, I remember reading one. I had to show it to a friend of mine. I was like, dude, I don't talk like that. That's very poetic. I just don't remember it because I was essentially high. Um, That is not how Scripture was written. Um, There's another one, the dictation view, that God spoke to the writers, and they just simply wrote it out like a typewriter. Like, they're just taking notes. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, um, where God literally gave them every single word, and they just wrote it down. There's an intuition view that the writers were talented enough uh, to write it down and make it inspired. I have a big issue with that one because that's a human making inspired words, not God making inspired words. Then there's what's known as verbal plenacy. Every word is inspired. The Holy Spirit influences past the author's thoughts and into their words, making everything inspired. This is the view of our church. Um, I believe this because when I read the authors in Scripture, you start to find that they, they write how they want to write. Like Paul uses phrases over and over and over again. Peter uses different phrases. Luke is very detailed because he was a physician. Like he's just detail-oriented, and you see the author coming out in that. But we know that the Holy Spirit went through their thoughts, went through everything, and inspired them to write holy scriptures. That's why some books, we don't know who wrote it. The book of Hebrews, like, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. It sounds like Paul, but it doesn't have all of his kind of introduction and different things like that. I think it was someone that was close to him and, you know, been around him and been under his teaching, but we just, we don't know. But we know that the Holy Spirit worked through that author's life and inspired them. They understood that. That's why in Scripture you find Peter referencing Paul and saying, hey, you know what he's written. And I love that he kind of throws in like, yeah, and it's kind of hard to understand because I think Peter had read Romans. um, But he says it's inspired. And the New Testament would reference the Old Testament saying, hey, we know that it is inspired. Every word, the inspired word of God to his people. We also believe in inerrancy. Inerrancy is the belief that the Bible in its entirety and in the original manuscripts is without error. Jesus taught this, so I thought we should probably start with him. Um, In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is being tempted by Satan. And he makes the reference, and he says, as Satan's, you know, referencing Scripture, Jesus says, every word is inspired. 
He, he doesn't say some words. He doesn't pick certain ones and go, yeah, that's more inspired than the rest of them. He goes, every word. Jesus, thinking back to the Old Testament, every single word of that, he was saying, every one of them are inspired. He referenced them time and time again. In Matthew chapter 19, he makes a reference to Adam and Eve. He understood that that was a true biblical thing because he was there. He was there when God created Adam and created Eve. He was there in those moments, and he believed every word that had been written about them. In Luke chapter 17, he talks about Noah and the destruction of the flood. He was there when God called Noah up and said, hey, it's going to rain soon. What's that? Just get ready for it. And he creates this ark. Jesus was there when all these animals became gathering together. He believed that that story that's recorded in the Old Testament to be 100% true. In Matthew chapter 12, he talks about Jonah. That's a pretty crazy story, right? Guy gets thrown overboard, eaten by a fish, in the belly for three days, then gets vomited up. There's so many times people go, there is no way that that could happen. And I loved like a month ago, some dude got swallowed by a whale. <laughs> like it's modern recorded history. Um, Jesus believed it. He said, just as Jonah was in the belly for three days, so will I be. Like he references the inerrancy of scripture over and over and over again. Like he completely believed in it. And as a church, we believe every word in this to be true. Like if I find something in here that goes against something I believe, the Bible wins. If I find something in history that you can believe, but it goes against the Bible, the Bible wins. That will be the story of South Point Church. It's who we are. I'm going to say this also. It probably won't be very long. We will be considered a, backwards won't be the word, fundamental church, because we believe in the Bible. It's reality. That's coming. It's coming quickly. And I'm prepared for it. Because I will always say, if I find something in Scripture, Scripture wins. As a church, we say we're committed to God's Word. You're going to hear it preached every single Sunday. We're going to proclaim the gospel. We're going to love it. We're going to grow in it. We're going to let it read us. We believe wholeheartedly in the inerrancy and perfection of Scripture. In the original manuscripts. Because some people go, well, I found an error. Guess what? I found them too. I found one time where they transposed a letter in printing process. Oops, but that's not the original manuscript. And we're going to talk about those in a little bit as well. So sometimes from that, people will say, well, the Bible's just full of problems. Like there's all these different things that contradict and things like that. Uh, we live in a day and age where everyone has a voice. It's called social media. Um, I find great, sometimes it makes my blood pressure go up, but sometimes it's very entertaining finding people that say, hey, here's all these problems in the Bible. I'm like, you haven't read that. <laughs> You're just retweeting somebody else. Um, but there are times where people say, hey, there's problems within the Bible. I found a really good quote this week by Mark Twain. Great author, very grammatically incorrect for an author, but he said this, it ain't those parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. It's like, ooh, that's pretty good. So many times we try and find problems, but the problems really arise whenever I read something and go, that's talking about me. That's my life. That's my attitude. That's my whatever. That's the parts that we have a hard time with. But there are times where people say the Bible's full of problems. And I would say this. A lot of times, a simple study will do. Understanding the context of what was written. Understanding the purpose of why it was written. Take Genesis. 
the creation. That's one that people go, God couldn't have created this, that, you know, it was a big bang and it was all these different things. Um, and they also say the, when you read Genesis 1, you read Genesis 2, that it's telling two different stories. Like, so it's contradicting itself by page one. Um, you need to understand how Hebrews wrote. If you're telling a story, if you're writing a letter to someone, typically in a very westernized American fashion, we would write beginning, middle, end. That's just how we storytell, right? Hebrews didn't write that way. Hebrews would sit down and they would write beginning, end, middle. They would do huge brush stroke to start. Just here's the big part of the story. And with the beginning and the end of it. Then they would go back and they would fill in the details. That's, that was their storytelling culture. And that's what Genesis 1 and chapter 2 are. Genesis 1 is the big brushstroke creation. Genesis 2 is coming back in with a fine pencil, pen, and filling in the details. It's not a contradiction. It's just how they wrote. Um, but some people say, you know, it's telling two different stories and there's some weird myths about somebody named Lilith. It's crazy. But if you just understand that's how they wrote, everything makes sense. Um, there's a question of who killed Goliath. Um, when you read through scripture, uh, we kind of know the story. It's a popular one in my family. Uh, it wasn't that long ago. Like I'll do story time with the kids and we did the story of David and Goliath. Told the whole story and then got done. It was like, here's a teaching moment. Hey, what did you learn? And so Logan goes, I, I like that David, like he wasn't going to let God be mocked. Like he, he understood that God was bigger and he, was, he put himself out there. He's also a little bit older. Andy, what'd you learn? He took that guy's sword and cut his head off. And it's like, yep, that's what he did. <laughs> but in scripture, it's recorded two different names of the person who killed Goliath. So what's the deal? The biggest and probably most probable thing, there were two people named Goliath. <laughs> Turns out that was a name that was fairly common in the Philistine culture. Kind of like John, there's more than one John Smith in the United States of America. Most likely it was two different people. I believe that David killed Goliath. And somebody else named Goliath, somebody else got that guy. It's not a good name to have. We don't use that one anymore. Then Matthew chapter 13 is the story of the mustard seed. Jesus says, hey, if you have faith like a mustard seed that's the smallest of seeds, and some people will point out, hey, the mustard seed is actually not agriculturally the smallest seed that exists. Um, what's going on there? Was Jesus incorrect? Did he not know something? Because if he doesn't know something, then he's not God. No, he's probably referencing a very common phrase in that culture. They understood mustard seeds were small. And for them, the smallest of seeds was a mustard seed. Just kind of looking at the context of Scripture explains a lot to us. That's why I believe that, you know, there's no errors. And there's times where, look, there are things in the Bible that sometimes I read and I go, I'm having a hard time understanding that one. There's one that says, there's a commandment that says, don't cook a young goat in its own mother's milk. I'm going to go to heaven and ask about that one. Like, what's, I don't get it. Like, we don't have a lot of goats running around here. Um, there's another one because it's family Sunday. I'm not going to give the full reference. If you want to know the story, ask me after church. But I was reading through in this process of studying this week and was reminded of a very, very awkward set of verses, um, that involve Moses and, and it's, it's weird. Um, and I had to sit down and was like, I don't know what that means, but a little bit of research, the Gospel Coalition has a really good article on that particular story. And after reading through it, I was like, that, that was pretty enlightening. I, I kind of understand what was going on there now. A lot of times, the more we study Scripture, the more it comes alive to us. Um, problems that you would find become less of problems, and then we find lots of things that grow and encourage us. So what about today? If we're talking about a book that out on a plane somewhere 4,000 years ago, 
Wasn't on a typewriter, wasn't in, you know, he didn't have his MacBook Pro at the coffee shop. I think I'm inspired. I'll write scripture now. Um, sitting out on some plane somewhere, a guy starts to write. And he writes the story of Job. And several thousand years ago, we know that somebody sat down and they wrote and told the story of Nehemiah. 2,000 years ago, Paul was sitting in a prison cell with a chain on his arm or his leg somewhere on him. He was literally chained to his guard. We know that he wrote several letters from that prison cell. And then on an island, because they'd already tried to kill him and it didn't work, one of the disciples, John, wrote the book of Revelation where he told us about the things that are going to be coming. How do we get this today? How do we put all of that together? How do we take 66 books and make them one and say, this is the scroll, this is the Bible? Um, we, we get it from a Greek word, kanon. We translate it canon. Um, not the gun, don't get too excited, but it was a measuring stick. Um, it was, there was a way of measuring these books. When Jesus, I kind of messed up in the first service, I said, when Jesus first existed, he's always existed, I don't want to be heretical. Um, when Jesus came to this earth and showed up in the little town of Bethlehem, did all of his ministry, he believed every word of the Old Testament. It was already all put together. Their canon was already there. They had taken the Torah, the books of Moses, the first five books, and they said, these are God's words. They had taken the Psalms written by David and a number of other people and said, this is God's word. They took Song of Solomon with its more adult content stuff and said, this is the word of God. Fun fact, Hebrew boys were not allowed to read that book until they were 12, considered a man. They thought they would go crazy beforehand. But when Jesus got here, the Old Testament, every word they said was true. Um, what's wonderful about God and his glory and grace, 1947, let me get that right. Yeah, 1947, um, in some caves on the other side of the world, they found some scrolls called the Dead Sea Scrolls. I've had an opportunity to see them before. In it was almost the entirety of the Old Testament. And the only differences were slight variations in the spelling of someone's name. I mean, we're talking in the 1900s, we're finding out God's word in the Old Testament was absolutely true. And it hasn't been changed. The way that they would write these things down, remember, this is pre-printing press. You'd have these scribes, that it was their job to write a new Bible, copied from another one. They had the number of letters per line memorized. Actually, there was a thing next to them that told them. And if they were writing, there were supposed to be 26 letters. I guess they'd be writing like this. It's backwards. Uh, it's supposed to be 26 letters, and they got 27. Roll it up, throw it away. Unbelievably meticulous to carry this out from generation to generation. Uh, then we get to the New Testament. Again, because it was coming out of Jewish tradition, the way the gospel was shared early on was through oral telling. People would share the gospel, the stories of Jesus. Around AD 50, they started to write those down. And they wrote them down in Greek. Um, around close to 100 AD, the last book, Revelation, was written. Um, 
There were some things that they said, hey, in order to be in the New Testament, it has to be from an apostle. It has to be from someone who had firsthand direct knowledge of Jesus or is backed up by one. So Luke was one of those people that he got to write a couple of books because he had such firsthand knowledge. Um, Paul was not one of the original disciples nor an apostle, but he's on his way to Damascus one day, blinding light. Jesus shows up. Um, at one point, Paul says, I know a guy who was caught up into the third heaven. That's the heaven where the God resides. And Paul kind of got like a theological download and sent back, and he was pretty good at it. And so Paul was considered, that's inspired. It has to be inspired people writing these books. If it's not, if it's Joe Schmo from down the street who's like, hey, I got some thoughts, that doesn't count. We're not putting that in the Holy Scripture. Uh, another thing was, hey, the, it can't be contradictory. Um, we can't have something that's saying that, you know, Jesus was the brother of Satan or something like that. Um, there are some, like, what they considered not gospels. There's like the gospel of Thomas. Um, it's pretty straightforward up until the end. And I think Mary becomes a man. And so they were like, eh, it's a little off. Um, and so that one's not in there. Um, and then just being accepted by the church. These early church fathers that were with the apostles and with the disciples by about 800, they said, hey, these are the books that we're putting together. Um, by a couple hundred years later, they'd had some different councils that had come together. There wasn't one specific one. Um, but finally, definitely by 397, they said, these are the books of the Bible. And those have stayed the same. And it's what was, again, written for a long time. Then some guy invented a printing press and put all those letters together, pressed them onto a page, and the Bible began to be spread more and more and more. And we live in a day and age now where you can have a paper copy. I like this one. It's probably one of my favorites. It's two-tone. It's how you know you're really a believer. In, like in 2008 when I got it. Um, you can get your phone out, whatever device. Uversion app is unbelievably popular. We've got lots of different translations. Like for thousands of years, this is the primary way that God has communicated to his people. It's the way that he showed there is a need for a savior. We get that early on. The story that Moses had told, and then at one point God said, write these down. And he tells about the fall of man. That every one of us, genetically, we're just sinful people. But it tells more of the story. It tells a story about a savior coming. Living a perfect life to lay it down so that you and I could experience forgiveness. And it tells us what's going to happen in the future. One day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. I believe that's true because literally the last word of scripture, amen, it is true. So what do we do with that? I, we, we talked about it in the book of Nehemiah when these people heard God's word for the first time, it says they, be, they became what was known as the people of the book. I know there's times where this seems very daunting. Man, I don't, I don't, reading's not my thing. We have to get, figure something out. You spend time in this and we'll find our interactions with people will look very different. The love and care that we have for people will look very different. Fear, worry, anxiety, all of those things look very different when we're people of the book. So I want to encourage you, whatever that looks like for you, get, get an app, find a reading program, 
you've never read through the Bible in its entirety and looked, that's the majority of Christians. You're not alone. It's, it's pretty phenomenal. Because sometimes when we start reading, people are changed in that instant. There was a Russian actor years ago who, as part of a play, was supposed to read a couple lines of scripture and then make some mocking statements about it. And this actor had done the play several times. But one time he started reading, I believe it was from the Sermon on the Mount, and in the play he didn't stop. Just kept reading. Because it came alive to him for the first time. He became a believer. (laughs) That's the power of this. Let's let it drive us. Let's pray. God, we love you. We are thankful for your word. God, I'm thankful for your word because it does move us. It shows us a need for a savior. If that's anyone today that's here that says, hey, I've, I've never had a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't know what that looks like. It's understanding that, yes, we are sinful people and that separates us from God. But in his love and grace, he sent his son who laid his life down to be the ultimate sacrifice to cover sin. And if you've never truly followed him, I would encourage you to say, God, as best as I know how, I want to come to you. I want to turn away from my old life. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life and be a follower of him. And I love that time and time again in scripture, we get to see that with people. Whether that be Paul, whether that be some centurion, whether that be someone just walking down a road one day. That's the power of your word. God, let it fill us, let it drive us. We ask all of this in Christ's name, amen. We're going to continue to worship now in time of giving and also in communion. Uh, before we get to that, um, from a giving standpoint, you guys know we're not passing baskets or anything, but there are boxes next to each of the doors. If you've got a Connect card, you can drop it in there, or you can take that out to starting point whenever service is over. Um, just very thankful that, I mean, Scripture talks about this, and the obedience and giving, and just knowing that it's going to do big things in people's lives. I've got our kids that are going to be going to camp very soon, and we're able to help get them there because of that. We're able to support missionaries and things like that. Um, this, uh, this week, instead of praying for a local church, if you're kind of new with us, we think unity is important. We try and pray for the churches in our area. Um, but the first Sunday when we do communion, we pray for one of our missionaries. Um, I have to be a little vague with this one, especially since we're online. Uh, we just call them the Smith family. Um, the Smith family are in a place where if their name... And what they did was known, they would be in danger. I put it that way. Like when we say we support missionaries, these people are in a very, very, very tough place. Um, And we support them financially. It makes ministry possible, makes sharing the gospel in a very dark area possible. Um, And we're definitely going to lift them up today uh, as we pray, and then we'll get into communion. God, thank you for all that you're doing. God, thank you for the way that you blessed us to, to live in a a day and age where in a place where your word is so accessible. God, to know that we're supporting missionaries, that if they're caught with a Bible, they could be killed. And I've got, I don't know how many in my office. God, thank you 
You have blessed us richly. Let us be a blessing to others. Let it further your kingdom and make your name known. And God, we lift up the Smith family and just say thank you. Thank you for what they're doing. Thank you for their heart, God. Thank you for their obedience. We can all learn from it. To obediently listen and say, I will go into some really dark places because my God is the light. I pray that we would live that way in the big country and beyond. So God, give them rest where they need it and encouragement daily. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.